Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Winter, spring, summer, fall, seasons change, we still keep it together. Hey, Beverly Hills 90210 fans, are you ready to dive deep? Episode by episode, storyline by storyline, character by character, as we break down the making of your favorite zip code with your host, Charles Rose. Did I say that? Harry Mullen. This thing about the, the the real person, and we go, what? We're getting rid of this guy. Pete Ferrero. I'm feeling wonderful. <laughs> Kathleen <laughs> looks crush, TV crushworthy. Like so many special guests, and all your questions live on the Beverly Hills 90210 show. Oh yeah. Here we are on a Wednesday night live at the Beverly Hills uh, 90210 show. Uh, look at this. We've, some of our old familiar faces are watching live. Hey, Caitlin. Ryan. traveling around doing hello, this and hello that. There. Hey, hey, everybody. Mary B. Hi, all. Rebecca. Yeah, we're live again. That's kind of oh, weird. Rebecca, nice. nice. Rebecca Jin. Uh, hope all is well with her. Love Rebecca Shin. Let's see. Uh, some people I haven't heard of before saying hello. Good, good. Hi, Maggie. Hello, Maggie. learned about the beauty. That's right. Maggie yesterday learned about the beauty of Tuesday Weld. I almost was going to consult with Larry. Look at that look at Larry's face. There was nobody sexier uh, in television or film for about 10 years than Miss Weld, I think. Chuck, did she start at Dobie Gillis? I think she started at Dobie Gillis. Thalia Memminger, yes. Oh my God. And guess what? Circle gets the square. Can you see us? Oh, we got they are. <laughs> They made it. We're on. <laughs> Look at these guys. Hello. We're on. Larry. <laughs> Jerry. Oh, is, uh, Peter. I like nice it, man. Very there. yeah, good there. Yeah, no, I don't think I, Tim, I don't think I knew you. I, I When I worked with Jerry from, nine, I guess you started in 92, Jerry. And 92 to 95 on the show together, you were with Scott Henderson. That was your assistant at that point. I was with Scott, but I think Timo was the assistant on this episode with me. Oh, yeah. Is that right? Well, great. Yeah. Good to see you, Tim. How are you? Good uh, to see you, I'm guys. Over. Good to see you, everybody. <laughs> Chuck, Did you get uh, to watch the episode? Did you watch it? I'm watching Charles, it. We're in the midst of watching it now. Okay, multitasking. Like <laughs> Listen, I just got home. We just both got home from the high school. We were working at the high school. We're working in the film department there, and oh. we're also doing other stuff at this high school at Oak Park. Oh, cool! Good for oh, you. Oak Park, good sports. Hey, look, at this, look at this art piece. The same art piece that you have on your oh, wall up there. He's got one. Oh, that's that's Chuck special. Chuck, Chuck special. Remember, you gave it to us. Look at that. That's amazing. I'm Chuck, looking at the yours? original. The camera just can't see it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Here. There. You know, um, we made a hundred of those. So you made the cut, Jer. You made <laughs> <laughs> We did make the cut. It's there. <laughs> the cut is made the cut. Exactly. Uh, before we dive in, I want to plug our friend, uh, Sarah Melson, is going to be playing in Hollywood on Tuesday uh, at 9.30. There's a whole main stage event happening if you're in L.A. or in the Hollywood area. Writer. At writers, what is it? What is the name of the place? Hotel Cafe. Oh, it's, no, it's a hotel cafe. Yeah, it's in Hollywood. Yeah. So I'll right. be there. So if you want to come hang out in LA, something to do. Come do that. All right, um, Chuck. This is a big episode. We're talking about Take Back the Night, right? This is this is, and just to point out, we pointed it out on the Patreon. This is the episode that mostly none of the actors will come join us. We can't get Chris Williams. We won't get uh, Dina Meyer. Tracy Minendorf blows us off. So this is this is a infamous for many reasons, that being one. But in terms of your world and putting this together, uh, bring me back to this time period and wanting to create this this take back the night. 
Well, you know, we we were, you know, as we've always discussed, we did, I did five seasons and effectively did five different television shows. And as we moved from high school into college and we, you know, we started with the, um, you know, just trying to make sure that we could establish the university and establish university culture, which meant the free, the, the fraternities, the sororities, Jay, you know, Brandon's role in the political world, Andrea with her first dabbles with, with guys, all, all, the, all the different elements. The one thing that was missing for me was that we really hadn't delved into any of the kind of issue-oriented social dramas that really distinguished the show a lot when it was in high school. So this um, notion of take back the night was what was going on in college campuses as we moved in to become a college TV show. And it was something that was different than ever happened uh, before uh, then, because what it was was a spontaneous action among all the various college groups to basically say that our campuses aren't safe at night for women and we've got to come up with something else and we've got to expose what's happening, particularly rape and date rape. So, wow, I felt we could do a lot with that <laughs> and, and really wanted to have something and, and realized that uh, we were very lucky at this point because there was our, our star writer, Chip Johannesson, was also sparked to the topic and was ready to really plow into it. And so it's an interesting show, as we saw going back to it yesterday, Larry, <clears throat> because it involves so many of the characters going through different things. Um, and not all with, not all directly, uh, as in the 90210 way, not all directly uh, uh, linked to what was going on with the A story, the Take Back the Night which uh, is an interesting tale in and of itself. Talking about an interesting person is Laura Kingman. Tracy Mittendorf does a wonderful job in this episode as Laura Kingman. Uh, Larry, you pointed out all of the, the struggle in, in Laura and what she, the intensity that she brings to this. But I want to acknowledge that a few episodes previously, uh, we, did, we did see Laura Kingman, right? I mean, and she had, she had some sort of hookup with Steve and, and, and that's, sort of the center of what the take back the night is going to be about. She's calling. She's yeah. She's the cautionary tale. Like you, you probably should not, you, you kind of sense that someone is a little bit maybe too anxious, too interested. And it's kind of like, you know, red flag, red flag, red flag, but you charge in and Steve charges in and uh, it's going to become a one night stand in his mind. And it's not in hers. It's a, you know, it's a well-known story. We all, we all knew and liked. Because, you know, it's, it's real. It's what happens sometimes on campus. Things just don't work out. It's a one-night stand. And so what happens when the girl doesn't just take it for that and it just gave a good impetus to, to have Steve at the center of this story? Uh, you know, and I had forgotten so much about it. I been watching it yesterday, and it was just really, I love the way we crafted it because it's just so, un it's just, you know, it's just not on the mark at all. You just don't expect it. But it still it resonates, and you know the, the essential message. It comes true, which is you know you need to say no, which is uh, you know I, I didn't say I, I didn't say yes, but I didn't say no, just to hit the final button right, of the was, show. But yeah, it's pretty it smart. It was dealing with the Me Too issues and a lot of yes. things before, and all the different sides. And one of the things that we noticed yesterday when we were watching it was the reaction to uh, that Andrea Zuckerman had. Which oh, was I have well, if you're going to dress like that and do like that, come on, you got to know what you're doing. If it, yeah. and have, and by have the way, responsibility, have responsibility. That's right. Well, and didn't we have thirty years later, women mm -hmm. or or if not saying out loud because they didn't want to be vilified, but other people saying, "Oh, come on, if you're going into Harvey Weinstein's uh, hotel room at midnight, mm -hmm. what do you expect?" Mm -hmm. Kind well, of thing. It, it, and, exactly. And so, but we voiced that and all the yeah. different kind of sides in this as you want to explore and uh, cancel culture we, we bring in the cancel culture way before ahead of his time steve's going to get canceled i mean they're all right. marching on they're going to be lynching him it's going to be like that. and he and before he digital lynching, he's going to get really lynched yeah and he's he's assuming he's going to be kicked out of college and 
you know, we, we really, you know, with this kind of thing, they still are younger people. They're only freshmen in, in college. So they're all going to the worst case scenario, uh, all of them. And it's an interesting how, again, we use kind of a, a nine year, uh, a 90210 kind of um, synthesis to be able to get out of where the conflict is by having someone act very um, nobly. And of course, that in this episode is Kelly Taylor. Kelly Taylor. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that's interesting is about we, we don't really see Celeste a lot in this, in this season, but we do know that Steve has a girlfriend, Celeste, and she comes up as needed. <laughs> In for this season, and she's going to come up as needed here because what happens with Steve and Laura Kingman, you know, affects the relationship with Celeste. He gets a whole bunch of phone calls, and Steve decides to break it off with Laura Kingman. I have that clip. I have a bunch of clips here. Yeah, we oh, should say that Jerry Frizzell edited this picture. Did we? I'm sure. Did we? Uh, That's well. That is. That is a fact. That is a fact. We're moving to the and we're moving to the clips now, Jer. We're moving to your work being you know, shown. This is it's such such a contemporary, actually a contemporary episode that takes place every day. I'm sure in college with people and stuff, but I don't remember it all. But I tell you one thing: working with uh, James Whitmore was a wonderful experience. It was really a fantastic experience. One Great of our episode. Friends. You mean it's a little stuff. Oh yeah, that was that was beautiful. You mean it's 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 easier to edit when you work with a director who gets you great coverage and interesting camera moves and everything else? <laughs> I'll be honest with you. When James and I worked together, we were on also Quantum. We did other stuff together on other shows. But to be honest with you, we he had so much confidence in what I was doing. He usually never came in the room and said, "Hey, this is what we got to do." He just said, "Let me just watch it, man. It'd be fantastic." And that's what we did. I worked on a, a show called. Uh, it was 10-8 with him, too. And it was, uh, it was a spelling project, too. This is after, you know, uh, 90210. It was, we always worked together. We had a great rapport, and it was a fantastic time. But yeah. James and I worked together on, like, I think four different projects. And then also Larry knows I worked with him on, uh, on Quantum and stuff. So we had a wonderful time. But thank you for having us on this thing, man. That's what, yeah, I'm having a great time. This is great. Yeah. And we're going to show some of the great edits and work that you did on this, and we'll get into some of the conversations about that for sure. Thank you so much. Thank I'm going to play a, a clip, this clip now. I, and don't if the, if the clip goes offline, YouTube, don't panic if you're watching. Go to Facebook. We have a Facebook link going right now. Don't worry. My memory will bring it all back. <laughs> no, panic. The fans, don't panic. Don't send a DM. Don't send a, 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 an airplane over my house. It's okay. We'll get through it, guys. All right. Here's. The I'm sorry about all the phone calls. I just kept thinking about you. It's no big deal, really. Didn't you think about me a little bit, too? Yeah. And Laura, I have something I need to tell you. Oh, something good, I hope. <laughs> Laura, I have a girlfriend. Her name is Celeste, and I know I should have told you this before we went out. Hey, come on. Come on. Try not to take it so hard. What do you expect? You pressured me into sleeping with you, and now you're dumping me. Look, I know this won't come out the way I mean it, but couldn't we just be friends? The other night, you didn't want to just be friends. There are other guys at the keg house I could introduce you to. I don't want other guys. Look, I'm sorry. I wish there was something I could say, something I could do. You can go to hell. Whew. Pretty heavy. Heavy, heavy. heavy. Yeah, what the, the one thing I think that... Uh, in, in real life, if a guy said to me, if I was the other gender, and a guy said to me, I'm going to introduce you to other guys, I think you, you <laughs> see your fate right then, guy. You weren't going to come you out know, of this. With he's not even. I think he hung himself there. Yeah. A little you know, bit. But Steve comes out so honest in this episode. We really build him up as a, a you know, as the highest bar of, of, you know, moral turpitude. I mean, that's what's so ironic. He's going to get accused of a date rape just when he's acting so selflessly and so high minded, uh, which yeah, is a, you know, it's a good credit to the writing and planet. It's really, he does a great job in this. He acts like he's at the MLB deadline. And yeah, I mean, I, she's got like other guys that girlfriend. I mean, I don't know how she does it, uh, how she does this stuff, but she is like scary to me. She's so scary. 
Um, I mean, the I intensity it. in that face when she when he first tells her that when she he breaks the news, why can't we be friends? I know. And, and like what Chuck was saying, you know, James got a number of different shots there. He has a medium close up. He's got other close. So it's, you know, so you had so so you know, Jerry had a lot to work with. I should say, Jim Gordon, Jim Green, uh, Chuck's brother-in-law, just said hi, large. Tell, he must tell have him I, I tell him I Jim love Green. him. I miss him, and we just say, hey, I hope you're doing well, Jim. That's great Jimmy Green. Thank the you. Great Jimmy Green. Oh, we love him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We love Karen too. How's she doing? How's Karen? Karen is great. She's just upstairs. Uh, uh, told her you'd be on the show. She got a big smile, Jerry. You know, we have all, a lot of good memories. I was tell telling her Larry. Her. Tell her we I love her dearly. Okay. I was telling Larry uh, and Pete, this this is take back the night, and that's what we're talking about. But for me. You will always be the man I spent eight hours in one editing session to get the most difficult show we tried to do that I tried to do in 143 up and running. And it, and we've done it on this show and it really holds up. And that was the fierce dreams of Dylan McKay, you know, when he uh, is on you know, fighting between good and evil. That was a they did the, the no offense to the director, but his name wasn't James Whitmore and it was a mess. And uh, the editor came and saved the, the editorial, saved the episode. So we, uh, we, love, we, we didn't have to, we didn't have to do that me. too much in 90210, but we sure did on that one. And, uh, and we had a good time. And you know something? I will never forget these days. And I really appreciate everything you've done because you made me the person I am, too. Here we are. We're doing it. And we're still alive. We're taking care of business. <laughs> That's no question. And also, um, look, you know, we're one of the things that our regular fans know and that uh, we have uh, three uh, diehard uh, baseball fans here. Uh, Larry was pretty much quiet most of this season. In fact, almost all the season. No offense. The Red Larry. Sox are nowhere. The Red Sox weren't there. The Mets are hanging on by a thread. And uh, the greatest team in the history of the Los Angeles Dodgers are playing for you and me, Jerry. It's been a great season, ain't it? And you're wearing yeah, that, yeah, so I have to bring it up, man. I, I, mean, well, I remember when I was a kid game. with the Drysdale days. It was wonderful. <laughs> That's true. I remember those days. Absolutely. A couple of people have pointed out about Absolutely. that scene. Uh, I love the music. Uh, sure. The clip must have the original oh, kill music. Kill me, kill me. That's, that's I heard it through the grapevine. Definitely not on DVD or streaming. Marvin so, Gaye, yes. Putting that in, uh, which is one of the things that we've talked about on this show so many times is loving the Peach Pit music because it's often tied into what's kind of going on. You yes, know I mean? it's the scene that we got a great chick out of trying to do that to get the the subtext in the music. You know, as it were. Do we? Do we have a clip on some of those black and white scenes or the flashbacks? I do, I do have Good. that. I do have that. I, I want to get to, before that, I want to look at uh, the other thing that's going on in this episode with Brandon. And I just put a quick clip together of just one scene that says it all. How is he as a teacher? Difficult, man. Brandon is hard. <laughs> yeah, so I've noticed. We have the whole what, what is, the, wonderful pick. I have to tell you, I, I did write the the crest dialogue, the uh, the, the strong dialogue for Chip. <laughs> Chip. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, he needed <laughs> some. Uh, he, needed, he needed some help with uh, with just the yeah. <laughs> We sat in the room together. I said, no, we're going to do this. <laughs> I thought that line was too X-rated for a chip myself, but I didn't want to say anything. Okay, we come far forward. We, 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 paid back and, we played back and forth. And sometimes, you know, when I had stuff for, uh, for Lucinda, he would help me with Lucinda. <laughs> That's Let's talk about Lucinda and... Um... I was going to say Scott Paulson, but his Professor Randall. Scott Paulin. 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 Yeah. It doesn't matter. He's not coming on the show. Uh, uh, Professor Randall and uh, Deshaun and Brandon putting this group together. Where where did this sort of, how did this happen here? Well, when I was a freshman at University of Wisconsin, I uh, did very well in a sociology class very quickly. And the sociology professor, I went to meet him, and he said, hey, you, you got some spare time on your hands. You want to uh, help one of our fellow students and help them tutor on the test. And it was a freshman 
basketball player from Beloit, Wisconsin, on the basketball team, who um, was in the same circumstance as Chris. He had a lot of talent. A lot of people liked him. But there was question, would he, would he be able to be eligible for the season? They was in a pretty simple sociology class. And um, I remember walking into his dorm room at 3 o'clock to begin our study session. And he wasn't watching ESPN like our guy was. He was watching the cartoon Felix the Cat, you know, which was like a 1950s cartoon. And it was it was that was the intellectual fervor that was coming out of that room. So basically, um, we tried to, uh, uh, you know, like prep him up for the test. And, uh, and, you know, he was a better student than Chris. He would sit there and listen, but, you know, he took the test. Charles did not, wasn't offered to take the test for him. We did that as the take-home exam and, and making Brandon in the middle of it. But um, I made him eligible. Uh, he got a C. He got a C in the class. And that was, was what no- he needed to be able to play. So we had that. And then the idea, we knew that Brandon, how about you have Brandon get involved with a, a, an older woman? We've always want because that's what, you know, Jason and Luke would always say, get me with older women. Come on, come on. You know, because that's what they were dating. That's what they wanted to be with. And, and, uh, and she, uh, Lucinda, the actress, was uh, one that Spelling Company was very interested in cultivating a relationship with you can just ask tony shepherd about that and um and so here and so we had that and then it seemed like well what if she's married the 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 extra layer married to the professor who's asking brandon to do this and now you've got your our lead character in a mess and that's another another triangle another triangle we created there right um we yeah, talked about was, how beautiful this Lucinda is in this episode and through oh, the series. Gosh, Lucinda yeah. is, is, is Dina Meyer. She has, she has very beautiful physical attributes as a young woman. Yes, she did. Uh, Liz wants to know. That's all I'm going to say about that. Is, that. is that why Luke was with the old horse lady? I think the question <laughs> is regarding wanting to be with the older women. Yes, and, and, and someday I will promise that I'll go with Pete and Larry will have to sit here and be patient unless he wants a, a day off. Um, I will own up to the fact that I produced that episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is Wildfire? This is uh, what's yeah, Wildfire, whatever. Yeah, Wild Horses or something. <laughs> not, a, not one of our great ones, but yes, yeah. that is exactly what yeah. I want to be with an older woman. Let's get him with an older woman because yeah. we were we were playing out fantasies that kids sure. would have in this, and, and that we and that we had. But you know, but what's good uh, about this this subplot is that it ties into it's another way of looking at the, the date rape thing, where she's the aggressive female here, and really. Brandon's put in a terrible situation. And of course, you know, we have Deshaun now sees what's going on between them. And he's got right. that some leverage over Brandon to kind of, you know, either tell her husband what's going on or Brandon has to take the test. So it's a great, you know, it's just perfect dilemma for us to have the series in. And, and what we know in this, it's not in this episode, but just for, for those watching, let us acknowledge Brandon cuts out of town because it's just too much. And he has some El- Emily Valentine episodes up in San Francisco we, we put in. But when he comes back, he learns that, well, Chris did buckle down, did take that test and did pass it. Yeah. I mean, so that, yeah. again, that notion that somebody finds the, a path to do the right thing. And that yeah. was really important for me in, in doing this show because I wanted – there to be positive role. Everybody kept saying while we were making the show, particularly in high school, Larry, you know, they, they, they're role models. And I went, no, they're not role models. They're characters and characters do the, but we can make characters quote unquote, do the right thing and stay in character without being role models. Cause once you're role models, you're not a character anymore. You're an artist. You know, know, in this episode, we get to see uh, Jason playing Brandon stand up to Lucinda 
big mm. time and stand up to Cress. He really has to show some strength in this episode, and it's yes. really amazing uh, watching that his work on this one. <clears throat> oh, and actually, the stuff with Cress and Jason in that one particular scene, which I don't sure. have the clip for, uh, where they get into it, and he says, "I'll talk," and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the two of them are just spot on with each other. It's really, really nice stuff. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about Lucinda which, uh, is that we made her an anthropology professor because she's a little bit edgy. She's really kind of kooky, and she's kind of a, uh, you know, she's oh, just I out there. It's kind of a, I don't know what we would call it now. She's like a pan. He called it post-feminist, I think. Post-feminist. You know, it was that period of time. What was the woman who wrote about? It was in the early 90s. All Eric, of this Erica Jung? Or, no, that was way earlier. No, no, that's a different yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the name of the, the woman who wrote the book, but it was really just, I'm looking at female sexuality in a completely different frame. Right. And yeah. that's and what we wanted to make Lucinda be part of that mold. She did. feminist as it were. I would sign up for Lucinda's class. <laughs> Everyone wanted that class. It was surprising. It was surprising that we didn't have any guys in that class. They're all with the women with the teachers, yeah. if you oh. look, do we have many guys oh. sitting in I think, there? I think so. Yeah, you know it's funny, Chuck. I was just thinking because we also we watched the thing. Uh, Andrea's boyfriend at the time is uh, Dan Rubin, the, the resident advisor, and he like plays the Phil Donahue part where he takes the woman's part, and Andrea takes the other part, saying women should have responsibility. Where Dan Dan is like way out there; he totally gets burned on this by him. Right, by trying to be the sympathetic guy. The sympathetic. I'm a feminist. I'm the feminist guy. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Okay. And he gets shot. He gets punished for being a feminist. You remember our friend Chris that used to ask crazy questions on this podcast. He did ask one this week, and it's so good. I have to put it on here. He wants to know, for the writers, was there ever a thought to have a scene where Randall actually catches Brandon in bed with his wife, but is actually okay with it and watches? Wow, um, now that sounds good. Now I know. I know what what Chris's uh, Google search. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you know we were we were skirting it at an eight o'clock show. Is an eight o'clock show? <laughs> yeah, there I don't was think a, that was. There was happen. a Chris. Go online and look up something called standards and practices, <laughs> and it's what was the governing body of commercial television. That one. Now we could have had. All of what you described, by the way, we sure could have found him find them together. We certainly could have had, um, you know, all of that reaction to it. But the one thing that and he could have been even OK with it. But what he couldn't have done was watch. Yeah. That or I could or I, I could not have ever tried to get that through a sensor. I would lose that. <laughs> like I think yeah. the other two we could have done, Larry. It would have been good if you just climbed in bed with him. That would have really been good. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon goes, What? Oh hi, Professor Randall. Now we're this talking gender like fluid the whole show here, guys. <laughs> just remember yeah, we did this was before HBO and Showtime. <laughs> we, didn't we didn't even think of those alternatives, really. No, we we, we our minds were blocked. We had limit limiters. We were prime time. <laughs> It's a different world. I'm sure you would have said get out if, if a writer said that to you back in 1990-something. Yes. Um, okay, we talked about the whole the whole Andrea thing and talking to Dan. Let's look at it. I, I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, but I, I don't, I'm worried that we're assigning women a very outdated, very passive role here. Well, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that men rape women, not the other way around. I know that. But you know what? It's like if I get drunk and I run somebody over, that's my fault. But if I get drunk and I decide to have sex with some guy and wish later I hadn't, we're saying that it's his fault. Really, Andrea, men do get women drunk. Excuse me, Phil Donahue, but women can decide what they will and will not drink. For a guy who claims to be a feminist, you should put me in my place, didn't you? I was arguing the feminist point of view. No, I was arguing the feminist point of view. You were trying to make me look stupid. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll never contradict you again. I gotta go study. She was not happy. I, I love that argument she gives about the DUI and stuff. It's just, you know, yeah. pretty good. But here, here's the truth, That's and just... we know this about 90210. We know that it's only a matter of time. Before she's gonna go to a party and meet a bartender. And that bartender's named Jesse Vasquez. 
and he's going to be on the outs. So to have somebody be on the outs like that, you've got to show that there's a little dissonance building before she meets yeah. someone else and has to break up. Yeah. Yeah. Because if she was really committed to that guy, meeting the cute bartender wouldn't have mattered so much. But the bartender yeah. transcended this guy. So that scene, although it's very specific to the action, it's being put in because it's because by this point in season four, we're, we're setting up things more, much more serialized than we did in the high school years. Um, that, that's an example right there. Yeah, 20 years ago today, I think, is coming up where we introduced Jesse as the bartender. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, so that's exactly right. You know, again, yeah, that's just <laughs> how, we, how we had to thread the show through in that point. We were very serialized, I guess. Right. Jerry, did you have a process in which you did, did the director usually select the takes that they liked the best? What what was the process in sort of selecting the scenes of uh, that you went with here in some of these cuts that we're looking at? You know, if you take a look at the script supervisor's notes, sometimes they give you information about you know preferred take. Uh, they'll give you information about let's use part part two of this take or part one of that. So you have a little direction in which way to go, but usually I will take that direction in myself unless, because if you don't get a, you get a flow to a certain scene and if it might break that pattern, he may see something differently that I do, but in the editing room, you see it in a different mode because when you're on the stage, you're dealing with that. He, he may have certain lines that he may prefer, but a lot of times I will take and, usually go with what my feeling and gut instincts are to help that scene play better. Then I will show it to him in another mode because we had, you know, we had options, of course we had, I could put something together. I could put two or three, you know, versions together and say, Hey, listen, this is what we came up with. So I had the options of showing them different versions too. So that kind of helps him guide him into where he says, okay, this is what I like. This is what you are going to go with. So we, we made choices that way, too. So it made things a little easier until we got it to Chuck's hands and we said, hey, listen, this is what we're going to do, too. Larry had, you know, he had choices. We all had choices and we try to work with those choices. And so well, we I'll, come up with the product we have. Well, I'll, I, I like to comment on, on my relationship with, with Jerry, with Michael Anderson, with, with whoever else was in the third chair because uh, uh, we had good more rotating people in that, but, but some really good ones there, editors who did really nice work. And what I used to say, certainly Jerry and Michael, is I said, because we were, we did so many episodes, you know, 32 a year was, you know, 32 hours, 28 hours. These was crazy high numbers. So the idea, yeah, the double, anything like that. So I, um, you know, there's a there's an editor's cut, there's a director's cut, there's a this, and you only have like we sometimes we only had a day or two between to deal with them. So I would say to the top line editors like Jerry and, and Mike Anderson, look, you had your cut. What I want you, the director came in and did their cut. What I wanted the editors to do, and I told them to do, was if, if things that, and, and this isn't a violation of the Directors Guild, I think the statue of limitations has run out. So that, that I would say to the editors, take what you liked of the Directors Guild, the director's cut, and add it to your cut. And those that you think your version was better, that's the one I want to see. And, and I'm telling and you, very ones. rarely, very rarely did I see a cut that we that and that an that either you or Michael went back and said, well, what you're asking to change, that's more like how the original director had it. Look at this cut. Look at this scene instead. It almost never happened because the fact of the Correct. matter is, when I, I would get a cut, yeah, that's right. And we just said take that, put, and so did Mike, and the way you're supposed to, and and that's and, right. and the digital. A, a editing style allowed for that much more to hold and mix and match. And that was a way for us to right. move so much quicker. And that was basically <coughs> built on the same kind of trust that Jerry was talking about that he had with the, with the director. Um, you know, you, you just need that. And we were, I felt, I don't know how you, if you did something like that too, Larry, but I felt blessed 
with that, being able to, you know, I can rely on my editors and they're going to do that legwork and I'm not going to have to sit there and watch that cut and that cut and that cut. I did. I would take notes and we'd make changes. I don't want to, and, and, and certain episodes weren't as, was, didn't come together quite as simply as others. But, you know, you know I, I have to say, uh, for, for me also, as much as I liked it, uh, Steve uh, Wasserman really did a lot of the post-production. He more sat in there a lot. And, six uh, and seven, those seasons. Yeah, yes, definitely, definitely so. Yeah, because I wouldn't let him any more to play. <laughs> exactly. He took yeah, yeah. more, more than that. But I would always be there for the, my episodes, obviously. The other thing yeah. I wanted to ask Jerry was, so did you screen these for Mr. Spelling, too, once they got locked? What did you yes, do we that? did. On every episode, we screened. And he was – Aaron – had a, a he had a major trust for Michael, myself, and of course the producers. So we didn't have a heck of a lot of changes, but he might have had maybe something to do with story content or something that he might have said, "Hey, listen, can we go in a certain direction with certain things?" But normally, I would say ninety-five percent of it, the choices were made by you know you, Chuck, Larry, and those things usually actually stayed the way they were. So there was not yeah. any major changes done. Well, especially by the end, not this, this is fourth season, but by fifth season, he was so stressed. He had so many shows on the air and, and he actually, Correct. you know, he got annoyed at me at a lot of different things, but one of them was I would, I would give a show and it would be 30 seconds long. In other words, I wasn't giving him very much to cut after a while because I didn't have the time to re rejigger too much. You know, the interesting thing, right. though, when I'm looking at this, this particular episode and you're showing that first scene with uh, Tracy Middendorf and, and Ian, mm. um, it's an interesting scene and it's interesting how things are said. But if you notice, Ian, it, it, it's continually jumping. He's He's like thumping a little bit and jumping around like that. And it made me wonder how many lines, because I think Jerry, a lot of producers do this, not just me, but I often would do, you know, internal cuts internal within cut. dialogue. Sure. If I've got the we coverage and I can do it sure. <clears throat> and I can cut 25 seconds out of a scene, maybe right. I got to find 25 seconds to cut. And I can cut it here. It that seemed like a scene that was cut a little bit. Did it to you, Larry? Or could be? Uh, you know, I was just focusing on the performances. So no, I didn't really notice it. I, you know, okay. well, obviously, you, Jerry, Jerry, about, obviously we take out all the dead air and this yeah. stuff and just try to try to keep if, moving. Yeah, but but maybe right. see, maybe I was taking too long. Yeah. When we made line we cuts, we that. always had that on a separate reel anyway. So that's right. We always showed them for that. We always yeah. had, that's exactly right. And that's an interesting thing for our fans to know. We always, <clears throat> when you have a boss like Mr. Spelling and a powerful producer in his own right, a legendary producer, Correct. you better be able to justify what you cut out, what's what he's not seeing. Yeah, and, Tim O'Neill used, used to turn around. We used to, you know, build up another reel just in case we needed it off the side. So that's how we Yeah, exactly. It interesting. Exactly. Right. But it, it always worked out great. The choices that were made uh, from where Chuck and Larry, you know, we had, those cuts always stayed the same. I mean, very seldom did Aaron ever say, hey, what's going on? or what. It was always a wonderful screening of great time we had with him. Yeah, I think he was, I, I agree. And, and right from the start, I mean, he was really, you know, I, I you know, especially, I remember when we, I know we're going back to season one here, but when we did um, the, um, you know, those, those er, some of those early episodes, not just Isn't It Romantic, but the one with the, the, the uh, team line and the rap line. And he was very happy at the end of our screenings. He knew we had episodes that were, that were strong, no matter what the franchise was. Mm. He, you got to realize that had a lot of confidence. Aaron had a lot of confidence in you guys, and that's what it takes. You know, it's a team effort. So that's yeah, most important. Yeah, I think important. we did build it pretty quick. We got it. You're right. Uh, our friend Sherry Weiss points out it's worth noting Jerry was also the editor for the series finale. Is that true, Jerry? I, I was, yes. I remember that. It was it was, it was a two-parter. And if I remember, Mitch Mitch cut – I cut the, the marriage uh, material on it and the whole thing. But, yeah, Mitch cut the first part of it because we had a time – I remember there was a, we had a 
a little bit of a timed uh, problem because we had to get things out as quick as we could at that point. But we, it was a two hour and we had to split it. So we both had, you know, we had our hands into it. And it, it was a busy uh, few weeks there. Oh, I'm sure. Well, it's good you make that reference, of course, just for the purposes of this. I want Jerry to know just for the purpose of this podcast, I ended in five. Larry ended in seven. So eight, nine and ten. Are, we call that the netherworld. Kind of but there. It, it happens. I know it's in the world. Jerry, though, I, what I was going to ask you about that, you were with the series for a very long time. So as you were editing and developing, you know, and, and working on the show, do you, you start to learn the characters in a different way, right? Do, do, do you feel that Correct. you knew, like, this is a great Brandon moment, this is the take, this is the Dylan, or are, do you start becoming so familiar with the material and performances that you know what's coming and you know, something, you know, it's kind of interesting because we, I had a chance to work with Ian and especially with Jason and then uh, Brian also directed, Jen, you know, and also Luke directed. I didn't cut right. Luke's episode. The majority of those episodes, I got involved with the guys and all that stuff and I was real close to them. So we had, you know, they helped me develop what they would like to see. And we also had alternative ways of actually making, you know, various cuts. And it usually went back, I shouldn't brag about this one, but usually they say, oh, I like what you did, let's leave it. But it was one of those situations where me working by myself helped them see a different light to what was actually going on when they came in as directors. So mm. we, yes, did we develop their characters and went on to make things even bigger and better? We did. So it made it a lot easier for all of us. It was a collaborative effort. That's what it was. Totally. Um, I want to show you the two black and white scenes. I have brief clips here of the, of, of them because I think they're really important. These are two different versions of the take on the evening. The dress got unbuttoned. And before I knew it, he had pulled my dress down completely and he pushed me back onto the bed. I tried to get him to stop, but he wouldn't. And I, I tried to push him off, but he, he was too heavy. I begged him to stop. And now I'll show you, this is just the brief versions of it. Here is she wore this sexed up lingerie. It was hot. I, we got close. We danced over to the bed. And now it works. But the insane thing about it is I didn't even think we were going to go all the way until she pulls a condom out of her own purse. What is that? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> So talk to me about the black and white, putting that together, Jerry. And um, Well, I remember know. that it was, I don't even know if I remember, if, if I can't remember if it was actually done or it was supposed to be done in black and white, but I think that was the thought process. I'm not sure it was written in the script that way. Chuck, maybe Larry, you guys can help me out on that. I think, I think it was. I think it, it was. It, it actually was as well. It was, yeah, because it, it, it helped well, us this, to get to the, And by I'm this sorry. point, I believe, you know, it was... Um, when we would do some flashbacks like that, it was the stylistics that the spelling company and Kenny Miller said, this is how we do it. So that we went, we knew black and white was how we were going to do it, but it really works yeah, in this funny. one. Yeah. You know something I would have gone, I, I talked to Kenny, remember talking about one thing I said, you know, sepia kind of also gives you a different look too. We tried different versions, but they decided to stay with this black and white. I remember that. Yeah. And it's very, and it's very, it was done very well. I think maybe, I don't know what other black and white sequences we had here and there, Larry, but this one was really strong. As a, as a Rashomon, you know, his and hers and yin and yang. I, I you know, we did correct. one uh, in also, season six, I think. Added, yeah, we added this uh, dimension where it kind of gave it a grainy look, too. Oh, if yeah, you notice yeah. that, it was this not only it's black noir. and white. It's a it noir look. Noir. It's like a film yeah. noir, sort of. Right. You know, we That's did a black exactly and white. I think did. Jerry cut it with uh, with Steve Wasserman dead. We have black and white, but you see red blood. You know, so we kind of added that yeah, yeah. a little bit. We, uh, we, That's we it. added yeah. something to it, but yeah. But this, exactly. no, this looks great. And the Rashomon thing, you know, this is, you know, writers love that. You know, it's it's, it's something we love to do. <laughs> go ahead, Je uh, exactly. Jerry. You were saying, yeah. You were saying, Jerry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You guys go ahead. I'm just, I, no, I no, no. You were saying, so, you were saying that it was great what you were saying about. Uh, yeah, about it was. I'm just trying to remember some of the thoughts behind what we were trying to do. And so, but we took it to an online bay. We tested different things. If you see the black and white, it's a black and white, but it's not a true black and white. It's, right. look, it's got a gray, it's got a certain look, 
which gives you it gives you that flashback feel and it gives you that more emotional feel to it too. I love so we, anyway. we're talking yeah. about the use of black and white and interesting camera work and cutting right. edge kind of things. Let's take a moment. He passed away. I actually had a chance to meet him once when he was a visiting professor at oh, Berkeley. Jean-Louis Godard, the start of French New Wave. Uh, yeah. A real brilliant filmmaker who stopped really making commercial movies almost as soon as he started making them. But they were mm -hmm. yeah. a very important person in this kind of cinematography, cinematics, as it were. Absolutely. This gives, it a, a, this gives it a whole different feel, which is wonderful, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's look at the breakup here. Uh, Celeste finds out, and I love some of this stuff. I didn't get, keep, keep the whole scene, but. <clears throat> you uh, need anything else? Just. Uh... Well, did you do it? Of course not. I just wanted you to hear it from me first. I know you wouldn't rape anybody. Did you sleep with her? I would like to be able to say no because it really didn't matter to me. But yes, I did. What should I expect from some guy I met on a TV game show? Wow, good stuff here. I mean, I love the how how this scene is directed and i love how yeah you guys stage flock the two of them you know are supposed to be right. across, you know and, like that. and and that we're coming into the middle so the so not the very middle of the our conversation but with with them both sitting there silent and the expression on their faces knowing that there's been some conversation some inkling of what the subject matter is and they are not happy folks Just even like, that look at the contrast of that in the peach pits yes. is the way that Tracy Middendorf's character was ready to greet Steve. Like I'm so happy. And it's my boyfriend has showed up. And even if he's not feeling it that way, but you, you know, the, just, just what the actors bring to the party that even though we did set it up that, uh, so I like the fact that it came in in the middle and she's not having to learn everything and that we see everything. Uh, Ian Ziering's yeah. performance was fantastic in that. It really was. You can feel yeah. for him where it was going to go, you know? Well, you know, I think that Ian, and, and it'd be interesting to ask him this, you know, Ian is a sensitive guy as an individual, mm -hmm. and he didn't really always like playing the, the, the Beverly Hills north of Sunset homeboy looking for a shortcut, taking advantage of this, using his dad's money. He wanted to be a fuller, richer character, and this episode gave him the opportunity. Correct. Even we talked about, we've been, you know, we did the tribute to Joe, Joey Tata a couple of weeks ago. I mean, even Joe even does some subtleties with his hands there at the beginning of it. Like, he even knows this is going to be a really awkward conversation, too. Yeah. Yeah. Very sensitive, yeah. 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 Uh, and Rebecca says Steve was so remorseful so really nice stuff uh the other thing i don't have a clip for but you know we got this whole thing going on with john sears and dylan and kelly right so there's the whole thing there with the with you know kelly realizing that john sears is a is a jerk and probably the the more you know troubling person than steve um why don't we talk a little bit about that storyline that's playing out here too larry well, I mean, John Sears, you know, is the, the, the campus cat. He's got everything. He, he, you know, he think he says, what do you think I'm with you for your freshman repartee when, when Kelly tries to dump him? You know, he, you know he, he's just totally full of himself. So he's a great character for us. But at the same time, he's kind of like a, a bad boy who's who Kelly, you know, he's a Beverly Hills kid, too. They have a long history. So she's attracted to him. But he reveals himself. And and what's good about this storyline in, in a triangle way, even though there's the Dylan triangle, there's the Steve Sanders because Steve comes to Kelly and, and warns her about, about John. Of course, she had already made up his mind, but still the gesture is, is not lost. This is like an episode right. where Steve is constantly doing the, the right thing and he's going to get accused of doing the wrong thing. So it's just, it's a perfect a Sanders episode. <laughs> and also what the John Sears Kelly moment allows us to have, and I don't know if you have this clip, but there's a wonderful uh, a scene, completely a, a chipper kind of scene where with Dylan and Kelly, where Kelly thanks Dylan for being the first boy who ever took her seriously. 
Yeah. And I think that yesterday you said something, Pete, along the lines of, well, this is this is why there there's yeah. depth to their relationship. This is why when people say they're Kelly and Dylan fans, it's this kind of stuff. This is the material that we're talking about. It's the conversation right. where Kelly feels like a real, really seen in the relationship as a person, you know. Right. So it's it's really touching and nice stuff. It's you know, and and also by the way, and later on in this, then you play with Brenda and Dylan as well. Right. You know, there's if you're of, of that camp, there's that nice moment uh, with Brenda and Dylan in the in the poetry class. Where, yes. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, yeah. a lot of a lot of really interesting dimensions to this episode. They, everybody's involved. It's really it's so spectacular weird. episode. Well, and the other thing too you love is that is 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 that Trace as Laura Kingman is totally worked up. Kelly is totally on her side. We're gonna get this guy. You know who's the guy? We we you do a great job of keeping the name out of the, everybody's mouth until it's needed. You know, and then we find out it's Steve, and right away Kelly knows. Like, I don't want to go there with this situation. We cannot say Steve raped somebody, mm. so it becomes really interesting. Here's uh, here's everybody getting sort of worked up. Let me ask you a few questions. How many of you have ever been burglarized? Uh, raise your hands in a dorm room or your home. Does having your purse stolen count? Sure. Welcome to the club. Take a look. You're uh, you're not alone. Okay, how many of you have ever been held up at gunpoint? Uh, finally, Dylan, we're here to see this. Okay, I know this is a sensitive question, but how many of you have ever been a victim of date rape? High school, it was practically a weekend ritual. If you look at the hands going up and down, you realize that date rape is a little different. See, if someone holds a gun to your head, you know it. But if you're date raped, maybe you're not sure. So we're getting some really, really powerful stuff here. Uh, one more clip that I have pulled. This is what Violence against women kills love. And violence is inevitable when you treat people like things. Okay, it's time to speak out. And we have a young woman here. Who would like to do just that? Let's give her a hand. So great. Course, she yeah, wasn't so even good. planning on, on going up there because it looks like no, Laura's going to go. It's such a great Rose. moment. And she basically yeah. steals the moment from Laura. <laughs> Again, Laura was upstage. She's got to get upstage later on. That's why she doesn't come Always upstage. <laughs> I'm sure it happened on you the know, series. I mean, and that's probably why she won't come on. But, you know, again, some characters have to serve the story, like we say. And, you know, she did a brilliant job. I just wish Tracy Mittendorf knew. Do, do you guys have any people were asking why these people will not come on the show? Tracy Mittendorf, do you, we, we speculated on the watch along. What is well, your also, and it might have something to do with their health. They may not be feeling well. Uh, and Tracy, Fair enough. You Fair know, enough. we don't we don't know. We just speculate. Fair we enough. do feel that they're probably. Well, it doesn't affect me to say this, so I'm just going to say it. You know, maybe there were things that Tiffany had in relationship to other cast members after we were gone that that came out which is why she won't come on with us that's fair i think that's a fair i, I, I believe that, that to be correct really know why but I, maybe you know you know again i think it's the fact when you play a villain sometimes in a show and then the norm the regular public treats you a certain way you get really tired of it it becomes a toxic kind of memory for you well i yeah. think maybe to even one of the you know if tracy is wanting to not be recognized from this stuff that she did as a young actress and wants to be recognized from some other show that she she did later in her career it might it might feel like going back to something she doesn't want to you know revisit you know with Dina Meyer I don't know I just you know I just assume uh, it was explain that to you I I don't have any compunction you know not explaining to us she was making a movie in Toronto for um, Calico, a really Carol low, well, the Carol Golan Golbus. Yeah, really. No, no, not them. It was a different. Oh. It was yeah. a different group. But that's just low rent, yeah. and they were up there, and they were making a, a feature, and we had her coming back for our last episode of season four, 
um, Mr. Walsh goes to Washington and she didn't want to honor her contract. And it's the only time when I was in my 143 episodes that we actually went to court and said, show up. Mm-hmm. And uh, she did. So she was not there under her own free will. Uh, I, so she, you know, that caused a lot of um, animosity. And I think there's some other issues, too, that uh, I guess you're going to have to interview Tony Shepard about. Yeah. Okay, I will exactly. not find out about that. I mean, maybe in the Diane Young uh, episodes, we'll find out some. Perhaps. <laughs> some I doubt it. Repeat, I doubt it. I doubt it. This is beyond me, guys. <laughs> She's really fantastic. I mean, Dina Meyer brings so much to this character. So, and, and so does Tracy Mittendorf. And so does Scott Paulson. Hey, you know, there's one other thing in here. Uh, the the uh, the David Silver part is kind of funny. This up uh, because he's kind of like, you know, kind of. A, it's all about the take back the week activities going on. And as the radio station guy, he's got a lot of responsibility. But at one point, uh, yeah. he has this conversation with Donna, which he, they were talking about guys and everything. Guys said everyone's got problems. He says, "Yeah, I got a big problem. I've got a girlfriend who won't sleep with me." Yes. We just kind of go right out of the box. And at that point, we didn't know. Maybe Mr. Spellman was going to say, yes, she can lose her virginity this year. It might have happened. But no. Um, Malik says, uh, it's just a podcast talking about artwork. Is it really that deep that they wouldn't want to offer commentary on the artwork that they did? It's a fair, it's a very fair, fair and valid point. Very fair, but you know, emotions are such and... Um... You know, if you ask me to go on a podcast to Dawson's Creek, I tell you to go fuck off. So, Larry, is there a podcast? I love you, I don't think so. I mean, Night Rider was not a great experience for me, but I, you know, I would go on. So, if there was a Night Rider podcast, would you go on the Night yeah, Rider? I would podcast? go on. Yeah, sure. I mean, okay. okay, I've been on wrestling podcasts, and that was a nightmare. <laughs> and by the way. I really loved the cast. I, I never three of the four members of the cast. I was very close with making the show. Have nothing but yeah. with great things to think about them. I've seen all three of them since then, and they both well, were very warm, including Michelle, who's uh, an amazing. You knew was an amazing actress, Michelle Williams, uh, uh, one of the most amazing actresses. And you knew it at sixteen, when she was yeah. sixteen. So I don't want to think that the whole experience yeah. was bad. Just the. Yeah. Just my other, the writer's room was a toxic place on that show. I, I would say, just in general, people's experience on the show was not good. For the, whether the interpersonal relationships were not good, because the work is great, and the uh, the acclaim for it is great, and the fan love for it is great, so it has to be something personal. That was Yeah, just, I, I would agree with that. Without without uh, going to detail. Uh, listen, <clears throat> this is what Renee B. says. She's a huge Tiffany fan. I think she does. Tiffany does not want to bring attention to the Jenny and Tori stuff, unfortunately, which we don't really know too much about and we really don't give a shit about it, if I'm being totally honest with you. It has nothing to do with this podcast. You know, I get why she wouldn't want to go on that podcast, yeah, but yeah, what does it have to do with our podcast? Chuck and I created the character. And we got along with her. My year with her was only great, and I haven't seen her in 25 years. I sure have nice memories of her. Anytime you want, Tiffany. Anytime yes, you want. Yes, please calm down. Um, all right. Anything that we also while we have Jerry here, is there anything else that you guys want to ask Jerry while 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 we're here? I think we yeah, I do want to ask Jerry. Go ahead. Who do you like better, Mookie or Freddie? <laughs> oh, Mookie! Come on, Chuck. Mookie Betts is the greatest player we've ever seen. I'm right with you, Tim. Fantastic, love you. It's got him very That's it. That's it. Go ahead, Larry. I I have a question to ask. Why do they call you large? It goes back, you know something, it goes back when I was actually on Love Boat. I was working with an editor that actually, we just, I don't know, there was this this big and large, I don't know, we were just back and forth, because I was working with uh, Andy Warhol on the episode, and Andy came in the room and just said, hey, I've heard you're, you're large. So that all built around all this stuff because I was, you know, we had an opportunity. The to Andy Warhol you're talking about? Yeah, the Andy Warhol. I work you see my jaw? It's down here. I, I'm like, yeah, wait a second. Back this up now. So you're doing Love Boat and Andy Warhol works into the Love Boat editing room? The episodes, and then Andy Warhol was on the episode. And uh, we, we just got, we got talking. And then all of a sudden it was kind of weird because Chuck McClellan, who was one of the editors, he worked on all kinds of shows back in the day. But it was interesting because he says, 
uh, large, you know, he started, he, I don't know why it just, it just worked out. It was just kind of short to say, Hey, big, how's that? And we, we used to talk about editing in the editing, room. but then uh, it was funny because Andy Warhol, a member when I was working in the room, he says, oh, you're large. And I said, <laughs> it was one of those things, but it was just a short, you know, we just had a good time with it. And it's just continued to go on throughout all the editing uh, episodes of anything I actually did. A lot of the producers used to call me large. Holly Hunter called me large. <laughs> Jason Priestley did and Jim Green did also. Yeah, there was uh, a thing that yeah, went around. I don't know why, but we had a good time with it. It was a lot of fun. It really well, thank was. You, well, thank you. But you want to know something? It was Chuck and Larry who are really the large guys that took care of us on this. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, Adam, Andy Warhol was on Love Boat, Chuck. Try to get your head around that. That's what It's we're so saying. Andy Warhol that he would <laughs> want to be on Love Boat, right? It's, you know, so the first time he came on the show, he came on because of Doug Kramer. Oh, he was an art collector. He was an art collector. Oh, yeah. I bet you Doug went to the the factory. I bet you he hung out. Oh, yes. Yeah, he hung out and did that. Yes, correct. That's right. And he was like, and he was wonderful. But I was very stupid. I did, I made a mistake. I never got his autograph. And he was sat, I gave him part of my peanut butter sandwich. Uh, Some of the stuff. He should have signed it. Peanut butter sandwich. Yeah, that would have been worth an autograph. Really? Yeah, it was worth that, but you know, I was stupid enough not to get it. Andy Warhol signing a Love Boat script would be a oh, great item. You oh my god! Bring it up. It's interesting. Nobody, nobody believes you. He says when Andy Warhol was on Love Boat, I said, yeah, he was. <laughs> that is so Jer- funny. Jerry, is there any chance you have any dailies saved from nine hundred two one zero at all, or is that all not possible? Yeah. You know something? That's a Timo question. We might have something. I mean, I don't know. It's a very interesting question. You know, we'll follow up together on something else here together, and we'll uh, we'll talk about that. What do you think? Yeah, like the VHS. Wait, 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 hold up, Larry. What were you saying? Uh, we just have to call Kenny. When it comes down to Kenny Miller losing all the negative on the show, that's been a big thing about nine hundred two one zero two. I don't know if you guys know about that or not. But there was a follow-up on that, too. <laughs> what, what do you mean that he lost all the negatives on the well, show? There was something going on over Laser Pacific when we were working there. I never got the story straight. But supposedly, I don't know. Why would you ever think to get the story straight? Kenny Miller was telling you the story. <laughs> he was telling the story. He was. And it was interesting because Paramount supposedly had the negative, but then there was some kind of legal action that was taken. And I don't know the details. I, I wish I could elaborate more. But I don't know any more than that. But there was some issues that went on after the, uh, you know, as, as 90210 went off the air. There was things with negative. I, I'll go through that more with you guys if you uh, For sure. To- yeah, absolutely. Uh, Chance says, Chuck, um, Braves got a bum closer from the Dodgers. They dumped their junk. Jansen. So they're, they're, the Braves are having a lot of problems right now. And Jerry... And Jerry and I would have both told you this felt last season. You want Kenley Jansen? You can have him. Here he is. There he is. I missed him one day at all. I figured. You have it, really. And (laughs) and the thing that's crazy now, Pete, I don't know. And Larry, you definitely don't know this. So we've got Craig Kimbrell, right? He is our official closer. The guy had a really horrible year. He just was, he, in fact, Less than a, about a month ago, if you'd asked Jerry or myself, would he end up being the closer? We would have said maybe not. You know, Blake trying you know, to yeah, come he, back. Yeah, to get out of here. You know, he's weird doing that. We can't have this going on. Okay. But the thing that's changed his thing is he changed the song that he comes out and walks into. You know, like yeah. uh, what's his name? Yeah. Eric Gagne used to do "Welcome to the Jungle." Right. And he was one of the first to have a song coming yeah. out. His is the song from Frozen, Let It Go, Let It Go. And you have all these 14-year-old girls and 12-year-old girls on the stands dancing. Nobody can hit him. He let it go. And he, he, he got into his feminine side. I don't know what he did. Now the guy's a real legitimate closer. And the Braves have Kenley Jansen. So good luck, guys. As you know, a I love your truth. The truth is Met, there. As a Mets fan, I'm so happy that Bra- the Braves have Jansen right now. So I'm, I, he, I knew Larry, about this. We love you over there, Larry. We, <laughs> we had Kimberly. Kimberly, you know, just buckle your seatbelt. That's all. Chance oh, that's also good. says, he Larry, yeah. 
No, he, he, no, he said somewhere here he would love a, a to hear Glenn Larson stories from Larry's tenure on Knight Rider. So maybe mm -hmm. one day we can do something like that, Larry. And someone said they interviewed Heather Thompson, Heather Thomas. Uh, I saw that. Yeah, Heather Thomas. Yeah, chance. Heather yeah, Thomas was. Uh, we knew Heather. Heather Thomas was in Karen's graduate school program at at. Yeah, um, she was in Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Quite well. Yeah, she was on Fall Guy. That's Corbin Corbin Burnson's girlfriend. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Corbin, I know. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, tell us more about it, Chance. Get in touch. All right. Uh, this is great, guys. I think we covered everything in this episode. I, I uh, we were gonna have the actress join us. She missed calculated the the day andy oh. chapman who was angela rhodes so we She's might terrific do a, little, a quick well, let's bonus. give her a shout out right now because she was really and by the way i looked up her on imdb just to prepare for the for yeah. today she's got a she's been a working actress uh, for 35 years yeah and i'm crazy. not surprised what a great presence she had both as a young woman and as a more mature actress. Good for her. That's, that's Andy Chapman. She, she is available tomorrow to chat with us if we want to do a bonus thing. So I will do that for sure. If you Thank guys you, want Pete. to join me. Good yeah, luck but, with that. Yeah, gentlemen, do me a favor. Please pass your best to the uh you know to Jason, Ian, you know, Brian, all the guys, and Jenny. Just tell her we send our love. And we love you guys, and we really appreciate everything that uh, you guys do. Thank you. Well, love thank you so here. much, Jerry. And you so know glad what? We got you, Jerry and Tim. We've done a lot of shows, deep dives, but we're still doing deep dives on episodes. And any ones we do that you are the editor of, I hope you come back and join us. Well, you know, yeah. it's funny because you remember when we did Double Ups, we did, we were working on each episode. All of us were worked through the episode. Yeah, so I just know. Give me, just give me a buzz when you want. It's <laughs> amazing, man. Hey, Peter, Larry. Buzz, Larry. I love you, Larry. Chuck, thank you so much. Take care, baby. Bye. Take care, Tim. Larry, you before, we, before you, you leave, Larry. What's, what's going on at LarryMullen.com right now? You have this story going <laughs> on. Got, right? Tell I, me what's yes, going I, on. I'm yeah. releasing uh, chapters of The Pool Guy's Kid. Uh, you can read it uh, on my website. I've uh, got 14 chapters there of it now. Uh, and I want to hear what people think of it. You know, it's my first young adult novel. I think it's pretty cool. It's, uh, so is it LarryMullen.com? Larry yes, Larry it is. Yes, is very simple. Plus, my other novels are on there, too, which are the adult novels, more raunchy, more fun, uh, good stuff. But yeah, I I'm trying those. something different. That's, that makes yeah. my day. <laughs> yes, you'll need that, Jerry. I'm going to make sure you get one. <laughs> yeah, i got to have that. <laughs> All right, Chuck, anything you want to plug away at? Is there anything going on in Chuck's world that we need to, to note? Uh, my uh, success. son turns one year old on Sunday, and we're having a, a Jewish baby naming forum, and everybody's very excited about that. That's going on in personal life. Congratulations! your baseball. I'm Larry Mullen's neighbor now. I walked my dog this Fantastic. morning. He called his name. He didn't come out. I just, no, no, didn't, didn't I just wish I today. was there, guys. I just wish I was. Up we're getting our scaffolding off, Pete. What is going on with the scaffolding? A major update now. It's already. We're going to make this a comedy act. I love this. Exactly. We're good to have you on. We should let this go on, but okay. Love you guys. Thank you. Again, just want to say, Sarah Melson, Tuesday night. If anyone wants to see me out in LA at the Hotel Cafe, I will be there for that event. And thank you guys. This week was a lot of fun. We'll be back next week, Chuck. We're covering the Legacy Key. I'm excited. We've got Herbert joining us here. His name's Corey Taylor, the actor that was uh, on the show, and that all happened on Twitter, so thank you to the Twitter people that made that happen. Uh, so that's next week. We're really stoked for that. And Diane Young is coming. We're working on it. It's going to be incredible. So, all right, See guys. Diane will join us. Keep us posted. Whatever you need, we're here to Good help. to know you're out there, man. You guys are great. Right, Stay well, guys. guys. Both of you. Hey, Bye. 